Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the Saturday morning live group of Alcoholics Anonymous. My name is Sandy Bauman, alcoholic. How you all doing this morning? Alcoholics Anonymous is a fellowship of men and women who share their experience, strength, and hope with each other that they may solve their common problem and help others to recover from alcoholism. The only requirement for membership is the desire to stop drinking. There are no dues or fees for AA membership. AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. And I left out, we're self-supporting for our own contributions. Does not wish to engage in any controversy, neither endorses, endorses or opposes any causes. Our primary purpose is to stay sober and help other alcoholics to achieve sobriety. And as you go to meetings, if you're new, you're going to hear that read at just about every meeting because it's a wonderful reminder of exactly what AA is and what we're doing here this morning and at about 250 other AA meetings today in the Washington, D.C. area. So there's a lot of people that are doing what we're doing and it won't take too long for you to realize that what happens is by some miracle when they put us all together in a group we're able to do something that we can't do on our own. Namely, to stay sober and happy. And that's the miracle of AEA. Okay, if you haven't been here before, let me explain that this meeting is a little bit different from most of our other meetings in that it's a classroom-type presentation as opposed to speakers' meetings or discussion meetings. And we do have four, three or four of these. I think there's four other meetings like this one in the Washington, D.C. area where... The 12 steps are presented by somebody uh, who's been sober in AA a number of years. And um, I think the other groups all do it three steps at a time and zip through in one month all 12 steps. And um, that's how we used to do it. And I think about eight or ten years ago we shifted over to one at a time and that seems to be working pretty good. So our cycle here, and we're just about to change it, um, and I'm sure everybody loves change, but our, we're going to try something. Uh, our cycle here is to go through the 12 steps, uh, one at a time. We get to the end of the 12 steps, and we do um, one week on the traditions, and then two weeks on the history of Alcoholics Anonymous. And what we're going to do just for fun is that after the traditions, we're going to have one week where there'll be a basket in the back, and if you want to ask a question, any question about the Alcoholics Anonymous, the steps, something you've been wrestling with, all you have to do is put your name in the basket, the question basket. And on that particular Saturday, we'll just reach in here, and if it says Susie H., then Susie H. can stand up and come up with a question. Now, this is designed to... Uh, try and dig out some trivia in the uh, literature somewhere to make the leader look bad. So I just would like to, I would like to suggest that's not the purpose of this, although I know several people who will be doing that. Um, but rather, if you really, sometimes you have something you've been trying to wrestle with in terms of one of the underlying principles of one of the steps or something that you heard at a meeting and it has always troubled you, and you just wanted to finally get some airing of it. And so just for the heck of it, we'll try it. If it flops, we will cancel it, and we won't do it anymore. But if it seems to be fun, we'll add it into the deal. So just for fun, on uh, the week after the traditions, 
where I'd be thinking up what type of question you'd like to have, and if your name is drawn out, you can stand up and ask it while you're here. So you don't have to write out the question, you just have to put your name in. Um, okay, so I covered all that, so now we'll get on to the meeting of today, which is on the eighth step. Uh, and before I get to that, there's always new people that are here at every meeting, and so I like to always make some general comments about our 12 steps, and then we'll spend the last 15 or 20 minutes talking about step eight. If you are new, let me share, and anything I'm saying is just one drunk's opinion. There is no official spokesperson for Alcoholics Anonymous, although I know anybody who's leading this meeting tries very, very hard to follow the AA literature to the best of our ability, and hopefully anything that I say I could find in the book somewhere, because I think we have an obligation to try and pass on the AA message precisely as it was put together because it's gotten such incredible results all these years that so we want to make sure that the next people that come along in AA have the same wonderful things happen to them. And so that's what we're talking about when we talk about the 12 steps. We're talking about the AA program. So if somebody says to you, what is AA? And you can say it's the 12 steps. That is what AA is. That is what individual members of Alcoholics Anonymous do in order to get sober and happy. And that, those are the two things that you have to do if you're an alcoholic and you want to survive. You're going to have to get sober and happy because it's very hard to stay sober and miserable. That's what happens when you go on the wagon and you grit your teeth and you go, I'm not drinking and you can see the veins on your neck. It's possible to do that, and some people with incredible pain levels can do it for a long time, but eventually they just go, <coughs> I can't take it anymore, and they go back to get relief from all of that pressure. And so that type of sobriety is not what Alcoholics Anonymous is um, talking about. Now, in the very, very beginning, that's what it has to feel like. In the first couple of weeks, you're just, <clears throat> but you're doing that until we move into the 12 steps where you will be granted a release from all that pressure. You'll be granted a freedom from alcohol so that you will walk around like almost all the other AA members in this room and you will be saying to yourself with all, right from your heart, boy, am I glad it's Saturday night and I'm not drinking. And you'll be happy with not doing it. It won't be phony. It'll be genuine. That is what the product of the 12 steps is. It is to give you that gift so that you are no longer struggling at all with alcohol. It just isn't there to bother you and you're free from it. And you stay free as long as we continue to work the steps. As soon as we stop working the steps, the freedom is taken away and we start getting tormented with the idea of having a drink again. So it isn't that you can come in and get a permanent boom and then that's it. We learn a manner of living which one day at a time will ensure freedom from alcohol and a reasonable level of serenity and happiness. So there's an old saying that if you've been in AA any amount of time and you're not happy, you're doing it wrong. And that's a heavy-duty statement, believe me, because it dumps it all right back on us. I'm doing it wrong. It isn't the world is dumping on me, or this is happening, or that is happening. 
I am just failing to take advantage of the marvelous gifts that are available here and I'm insisting on wallowing in my misery out there and complaining. I mean, that's sort of what happens because the power is here to enable you to have a reasonable level of happiness right now, right today. And I know a lot of people say, well, that's, I don't think I can buy into that, that there's some invisible power that if you do certain things, you will feel happy. I don't know. Did you ever drink? Did you ever pour a drink down? That's sort of an invisible power that goes in, and it made us feel happy. So we already know alcoholics are the last ones that should doubt a higher power. We spend our whole life going into a package store ordering up a higher power, you know. And we ordered it in order to turn our lives over to it and wait for the 14 promises of vodka to kick in. And <laughs> so we had a very similar program going before we got here, which was based on faith in a power greater than ourselves called vodka, that it would enable us to be happy and comfortable now, today. And it was a day-at-a-time program. You could not drink enough booze to last you all week. You had to go out and do it every single day. You remember that? It was a day-at-a-time program. So there's nothing new over here. We're just saying it's a different higher power. That's the only difference. It's a different higher power. And as a result, there are fewer fist fights. We don't have a lot of puking at these meetings. There's a whole difference uh, that, that goes on here. It's a much superior product to the one that you were, uh, had a relationship with before you got here. But I'll make all those statements to show you already know what it's like to have a relationship with some power that you are relying on. The difference here is it doesn't kick in that fast. It's that you don't come in and get the, the quick fix, so it takes some faith. And the faith you can get by watching other AA members. And that's why it's called a program of attraction. You go to the meetings and they're big show and tell operations. And there's a woman up there who's about your age with your background. And then the next speaker is some guy who's similar to you. And you get to see that uh, these people have exact same background. When they start talking about their relationship with alcohol, it's like they're reading your mail. When I first got here, I thought my wife had briefed the speaker what to say just psych me out. You know what I'm talking about? So that he's saying all these secret thoughts that I had that nobody could possibly know because I didn't know anybody else in the world had this deal going on that I was trying to hide. And so I connected with the speakers and then I connected with their success. I connected with what I saw here. I saw people. They weren't faking this happiness. I was wondering what they were on. Uh, but I knew that they really were excited about something and talked about it in terms of having taken these steps. And so this is where we are when we come in here. And the step is what individual members of AA incorporate into their lives. And I like to think about them as a game plan for living. And the main purpose of the game plan is to replace your plan. And the reason for replacing your plan is bad results. Your plan is a disaster based on looking at you. That's, that's what I would say to anybody who is new, that your plan is a disaster. Your plan for living 
And the funny thing is, even though it's a disaster, you don't want to give it up because you thought it up. You know what I mean? I know I'm all screwed up, but I got here. Don't you understand? It's me that did this, and it's almost pride of authorship. And we don't want to relinquish control of this disaster. And we're complaining about it. And so when we come in here and we go, I'm putting my way of living on hold. I'm going to try an entirely new ball game. That's what going to meetings and getting a sponsor and all of that. And the greatest thing that happens initially is you stop doing all this destructive thinking and behavior and you get immediate results. And then you start down this road and you start getting the long-term results. A couple of other general comments. Uh, a spiritual program, which is what this is, is different than anything you've ever seen before if you're new. And your little brain, if it's like everybody else's who comes to AA, what is this program? And then we hand it to you and you're, that's it, huh? These 12 steps? Well, I'm going to study them and see if they work. I mean, that's the first thing that most of us do. We just read all this and generally conclude about two-thirds of the way through, wrong, no connection with moi. This, that I can tell by looking at this crap that it isn't going to deal with the stuff that I got to deal with. Hey, I got some real problems. You know what I'm saying? I don't have time for meditation. I got a sheriff looking for me. I remember, you know, this may be okay for people who are fine already, but I'm screwed up. I got a lot of problems. I mean, what is this? You know, I'm going to be making amends. I mean, I don't have time for this. I'm on the blame. I got all these things. And I remember looking in there for the step that gave you a $2,000 loan. That was the step. Well, it's not one. It's not two. It's not three. Because I already knew what the answer to my immediate problem was. I got to get the pressure off. And then maybe I could sit around and meditate or do an inventory or something like that. But... When the wolf is at the door, you can't be screwing around over at the table writing up stuff. They'll grab you while you're not looking. You know, I had all of that. So if you're new, these steps are not going to look like they're going to work. You're not going to intuitively grab it. So you're going to have to do what Clancy says. You're going to have to take a series of actions that you don't believe in. So up front, we're going to tell you, you're not going to connect with this stuff automatically because it's not the intellectual problem solving that you are accustomed to in your normal way of looking at things. I'm an alcoholic. I'll figure out what it is and then I will go on from there. We don't attempt to figure out why we're an alcoholic. What happens is we take a series of steps and lose interest in why we're an alcoholic. That's what happens. Problems don't get figured out. If you're new, let me tell you this ahead of time. In the spiritual plan, problems don't get figured out. They simply get removed. They simply get lifted away. And if they're lifted away, you're no longer interested in them. The only reason you're trying to figure alcoholism out is that it's screwing up your whole life. But if it wasn't on the agenda to be bothering you today, you wouldn't have the remote curiosity in it. It's like you don't really, you're probably not going to go home this afternoon and study up on what the cure for some rare skin disease is unless you get it. And so there'd be no interest in why you're an alcoholic. The longer you're around here, that becomes, I have no interest. I never read articles about what they're doing in medical breakthroughs or anything because 
um, it has in it sometimes so I can discuss it with Hal M, you know, and try to win an argument. But other than that, I have no interest in what they're studying or any of that stuff because it's not a problem. I have a plan here that will always keep me away from that kind of stuff, so I don't need to know any of that. It's fun to talk about, but it's not important in my life. So the this, these 12 steps, this spiritual plan, won't look like it's going to work. It produces different types of results that we were talking about. It doesn't solve problems. It just causes them to stop bothering you. You have what we talk about in our 10th uh, step, a daily reprieve contingent on your spiritual condition. As long as you have taken the proper steps to ensure an adequate protection against these problems, they don't bother you. They just don't come in today to bother you. So all we have to do in, in sobriety is on a daily basis maintain a certain condition that is achieved through these 12 steps and alcohol will never be a problem one day at a time. That is the deal. The problem with that solution, it's a very similar to the Lord's Prayer where it says, give us this day our daily bread. And we pray for that. And those of us that may choose to use that prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. It's a real day at a time thing. You know, us human beings, we want to improve on that. I like my daily bread and about 50 grand in the bank. <laughs> Just in case the prayer doesn't work someday, then I got 4,000 days worth of bread off on the side. So, uh, with that particular attitude, it's hard to develop a total faith in a higher power. So, we're always going to be struggling against this simple day-at-a-time approach to life and our human side, which is going, you need a backup for God. You know what I'm saying? God's fine, but you need a backup in addition to that. And that, that it ridicules the whole idea of a higher power. But our human brain will be doing that until we die. And we just have to get used to it and try to make progress in that area. And so it really is a day-to-time thing. That's why we go to meetings so often. We may not go to meetings every single day, but even though I've been around a lot of years, I still go to five or six a week. And uh, it's just to maintain a certain level um, that enables me to enjoy life more. And this It's an edge. It's, it's a spiritual edge that just gives me a cushion between me and the events of life and they don't poke in. And when I stop going to meetings and stop doing uh, those steps that enable me to have this spiritual cushion, then life gets mean. And all of a sudden I start thinking I need relief from all this pain I'm experiencing in my life. And if you keep it up long enough, the brain will start thinking, you know, alcohol was a good thing to take care of all this pain and so on. And so that's why we keep coming back and have sponsors and have the, in addition to the steps, we have each other. And we need each other to constantly remind one another to go back to this solution. Because as we said at the very beginning, our intellect doesn't relate to this. It was, we will never connect to this. We will never intuitively get up and something happens to us and the first thought will be, i got to do an inventory. Generally it is, I have to get revenge. I have to go kill somebody. I mean, that's, 
That's what will always come. And so we need a sponsor who calls up, and you know, when your pigeon calls up and wants to borrow a gun, and you, <laughs> you need a sponsor who's going to suggest, why don't we talk it over first? You know, we can, we can go to the target range and have a discussion. And, and then we get to talk about the solution and we bring each other back because the next time maybe the situation may be reversed and the other person has gone up wanting to get a gun and so on now and we're brought back to this so we don't intuitively go to these steps believe me it's not some but we try to develop a habit pattern and meetings become a habit pattern we go there whether we talk about it that night or not we're just going to go do that like we used to just go to a bar every night and working the steps and making conscious contact and doing all these things. So this is the path that we start down. If I keep talking about it, I'll never get to step eight. Step eight pretty short anyway, so I'm just messing around. Um, the other thing I'll say before I get to this, made a list of all the people we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. The only way to get into this program is through the first step. You can't start taking an inventory or doing any of the other steps. We all have to deal with that first step, which is, if you're new, I'm sure you know this by now, at least the first step, where, they, where you say, I am going to admit that I'm powerless over alcohol and my life has become unmanageable. And the key word to focus on is powerless. And the reason that's such a key word is it's a very spiritual word. It's one of the more spiritual words we have. When you say you're powerless, you are saying, in effect, unless there's a higher power, this problem can't be solved. That's what powerless says. I am powerless over this. Nothing can be done to me that will ever change me being powerless over alcohol. I can't learn a whole bunch of crap and then not be powerless over alcohol. I'm always powerless over alcohol. You've got 20 years sobriety, you're just as powerless over alcohol as somebody with one day sobriety. So it's a permanent condition. And the word itself tells you the spiritual situation that you find yourself in. You are powerless. And unless there's a higher power, you're going down the tube. And so the next step is, why don't you change your mind about a higher power under the conditions you find yourself in. And we talk about, when we're talking about the second step, we always talk about someone who doesn't believe in parachutes. They've seen them packed, and they look and they go, I wouldn't trust one of those things. I, would not, I wouldn't put one of those things on and go up in an airplane and jump out. But if you were thrown out of an airplane with a chute on your back, floating down to earth, it might be a good time to change your mind about parachutes. Hey, maybe I'm wrong about parachutes. What the hell? If it doesn't open, you can hit the ground going, see, I was right. <laughs> and give the world the finger. But why not pull it? And so this is where you are. If you are an alcoholic and you're powerless over alcohol, you just, you're out there with no, no way you're going to not hit the ground. And all you have to do is pull this ripcord that says, I think I'll change my mind about a higher power. 
It's not that you have seen a higher power or that someone has convinced you, shown you this. None of that happens. AA, we talk about this all the time, AA does not try and convince anyone of the existence of God. We specialize in convincing you of the need for God. That's all it is. You are in a situation where you really need a higher power or you're going to hit. So that's our second step. We're going to change our mind, not intellectually again, that we saw the light. We saw the ground. We saw the bottom. That's what hitting bottom is all about. I'm going to smash. And so I'm going to change my mind. And that's it. So it would be a very prudent thing to try, even though you may not believe in it. I don't know if I believe in this, but I'm changing my mind. And I'm going to do what these people say will produce a higher power. If it does, the worst, what happens if it does? What if you're wrong? And there really is, these steps really do produce in you an app because of the changes that take place and all the little miracles that come into your life. What if you then believe in a higher power? All that happened was you were wrong. Some of us will not want to go through that. It's amazing, the human ego. I'd rather hit than be wrong. You know what I mean? I'd rather smash on the ground than have the chute open and have everybody go, ha, 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 you're wrong. It really works after all. So instead of going through that, I'd rather hit. Now this is what the very deep psycho uh, analytic problem that Bill labels in our literature as stupid. This is the... Um, And, he just, and as many times, if you read our literature, he'll say, we were especially stupid in this area. <laughs> we were especially, we're constantly doing things that were totally against our best interests, so we didn't look bad. And so I would caution everybody as you're working through the steps, watch for your ego to jump in and go, no, no, you don't need to do that. Don't be messing around with that. You don't want to do that. If you, in order to do that, you're going to have to change your mind about something and that's very difficult for us to do so that's the beginning once we change our minds we're willing to try this path where results are going to come from somewhere and we're not quite sure what this is all about then we're on the journey and it turns out all we have to do to have this work we don't have to go to Tibet climb the Himalayas or anything like that to find this higher power the higher power is inside of us and it was just born there, like the idea of friend was. And we just have to get things that are blocking it out of the way. And that's what the whole AA program is, is to remove blockages, character defects, whatever you want to call them, out of the way. So all our steps that we've been talking about, four, five, six, seven, eight, or four, five, six, and seven, we're getting these blockages out of the way so that we can then start living a day at a time in step ten. But there's one more thing that has to be done before we can live a day at a time. Having made in step seven, humbly asked them to remove all these blockages, we still have a package that needs to be dealt with. And if you're new and you've been told to live a day at a time and you're trying to live a day at a time and you go, I like, I'm going to live a day at a time. So I'm going to start right now living in the now. And it lasts about a second. And then you write back, you know, last week I did this, 
And then you try harder to live in the now, and you can't. Well, steps eight and nine may have a little something to do with that. It's very difficult to live in the now and drag the 80s with you. You know what I'm saying? Because you have the record of your last 10 or 15 years exists up here. And you're trying to live in the now and simultaneously have all this... And in the middle of this mumbo-jumbo that's going on in your brain are names of people that keep surfacing as your memory, computer memory goes back through those years. And this list of people are people that you just would prefer to not run into in the checkout line at the supermarket this afternoon. You, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, I don't really need this shit anyway. <laughs> put it back on the put it back on the shelf and out the door. What the hell was all of that? Well, I owe that guy about $800, and I, I, he thinks I'm dead, and we ought to leave it that way. And I'm out of there, and then somebody else plays, you're trashed, and I used to work for that guy, and he's still looking for his truck. And I'm... Whatever your list is um, that you would prefer not to run into, that list makes it very difficult to live a day at a time because you are living a day at a time with your radar looking all around to make sure that none of these uncomfortable situations arrive. Steps eight and nine are the steps that enable us to deal with this huge past that every alcoholic brings here. We do not bring uneventful pasts into Alcoholics Anonymous. You never hear a drunk telling a boring story. I mean, sometimes, you know, you get somebody up there, well, I was a quiet little person, I just sat around the house, I have a very boring story. And then when they reveal the whole story, it's generally not quite as boring. There were police arriving and emergency rooms and blood and puking and, you know, but it, to them it didn't seem as glamorous as some of these other stories. But we, we, bring, we have this, this past and it's in our head and it's disturbing our serenity, and it's preventing us from the So Steps eight and nine are designed to enable us to take care of the past. And step eight says, made a list of all the people we'd harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. What this step is, got two big things. It's between this one and step nine, we're going to get rid of as much of this burden as we can. We're not going to be able to get rid of all of it because we're going to learn in step nine that we cannot, by our own peace of mind, at the expense of others. So when you look ahead, you'll see that we're going to make amends except when to do so would injure them or others. But we're going to be able to get rid of a tremendous amount of this and it'll become quite manageable. So that's one. We're going to get rid of the thing. But the second and possibly equally or even more important thing that's going to happen is we're going to learn as we examine the harm that we're talking about in step eight, how we, through our own self-centeredness, have caused the world to be a, a, in, to be a way that we don't like. And Bill writes about this in the eighth step when he says, we alcoholics seem to be able to bring out the very worst in people. I don't know if anybody relates to that. We, we seem to, because we keep them off balance. 
We're uncertain. We're unpredictable. We're emotionally mm-mm. And people hang around us a while and they go frazzled. They freak out. And a true story, I tell this every time I get to the eighth step, my sister up in Connecticut now has 14 years, 15 years in AA. And when she first came in, I was speaking up there and she wanted to go to a meeting and then she told me she was having all these problems and so we got her a sponsor and then now she's got 15 years. And about three years after she came in, my parents were having their 50th wedding anniversary and my sister was planning the huge family get-together for this reunion, for this ceremony. And she started going down the list. Oh, that's good. You know, my cousin and all these people I hadn't seen in a long time. And she got the one uncle and I just went, oh, do we have to invite him? And she said, we don't want to invite him. Come on, Sue. This guy is, you know, and I listed all the way. He gets obnoxious. He, you know, he just sort of gets agitated. He just disrupts the thing. And we're trying to have this wonderful, smooth thing. And she said, oh, he only does that when you're there. <laughs> what? I couldn't believe it. I mean, I couldn't believe... But, I, you know, she's sober and in the program and all that. And I said, suddenly I have to listen to her. And I go, he only does that when, I'm, oh, yeah, when you're not around, he's great. <laughs> <laughs> little step eight lesson there, you know what I'm saying? And uh, so I just decided to treat him like a wonderful guy. My sister said he was. And he was wonderful. He was wonderful. So the eighth step. It's going to give us some insight into how we cause the world to be as obnoxious as it was. And then we complained about it. You see what I'm saying? That we actually produced a lot of the disharmony that we constantly encountered. And then we went over to the bar stool and said, that world out there sucks. You know what I mean? If it would only straighten out. And we thought, you know, there was a drunk, he was traveled across country and his truck broke down and some little town in the Oklahoma had about 300 people in it and he stayed overnight just one night getting his truck repaired and then went on to California and from that day on the town has been fighting with each other there's been people punching each other out and nobody knows exactly what it is but they remember the day that he passed through and and it's all screwed up. And so we learn how to do that. I think we learn how to keep people off balance so they don't come over and look at our drinking. You've got to keep them moving and keep them. We always, and besides, the truth was unacceptable. I was in the Marine Corps. You can't go up to the colonel and go, Colonel, ha, 1030, I'll be sneaking back to the Quantum up for a drink and I'll be right back. I'm an alcoholic and my hands are starting to shake so bad I can't write anymore. And in order to do my job, I'm zipping over. You can't do that. So you got to tell a lie. Uh, Colonel, I got to go up to the wing legal office, do a little research on the boom boom. Then on the way up to the wing legal office, you run into the executive office. He says, what are you doing up here? You forgot what you told the colonel. Well, uh, sir, I'm up here. Uh, we've run out of supplies and the uh, blah, blah, blah. And I'm picking them up. And then the two stories cross. They aren't the same. And then you're called in. What are you telling the major this and the colonel? Oh, you know, you've caused all this crap just because you had to go back and get a drink in the Quonset hut. You see what I'm saying? And so... We create a tremendous, and our self-centeredness causes us to do this. So the eighth step, when we look at this harm, Bill writes, we extract a tremendous amount of information about ourselves and how we interact and cause harm to people. In the past, all we inventoried was the harm done to us. 
Well, we had that inventory down pat. My sponsor suggested that to me. He said, well, I, I don't know who I harmed, you know. Like, <laughs> and the reason I didn't want to get a big list in the eighth step was I'd already looked at the ninth step, and I saw if you got on the eighth step list, you had to go see them all. So I figured, you want to keep that list as short as possible. So, <laughs> so you didn't have to go see a whole bunch of people in the ninth step. I mean, you know, I, we all have that ratty little mind to think that way. So he said, don't do that. Let we'll modify the eighth step for you. Make a list of all the people that harmed you. Said, all right, now we're talking about <laughs> huge list. He said, that's your list. That's your list. Because nine times out of ten, you cause the harm that caused them to harm you. It was the backlash. It was coming back. It was dis producing disharmony. Whenever I think of harmony, it's a wonderful word, harmony. How to live in harmony in the world. And I always think of this song that came out in World War II. My mother told me about it. And it's, it was called Poor Johnny One Note. And I think it was a clarinet. And he only could play one note, and he's trying to get a job in a band. And, and, and you know, poor Johnny one note. You know, he couldn't get a job here, couldn't get a job here. So he's real sad because nobody would take him in because he just knew how to play this one note. And I think if it was us, if we took the music, if this is you, you're Johnny one note, and the one note that you knew, and the one note that I knew when we went out into the world to try and find some harmony, we knew one note. Me, and we just went out, and we just went, me, and we went over here, and we went, me, and then whenever we listen to anything, somebody's saying, well, I got a promotion, and I went over and go, what's that got to do with me? Don't see anything there that has to do with me, won't listen to that, anything over here to do with me? And we just went everywhere, you know, that wonderful line on the talk show host, and the guest finally stopped talking. They were talking 15 minutes and the guest said, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? And that was the question, you know. <laughs> so to say that we've been obsessed with thinking about me is an understatement for us alcoholics. So our idea of harmony was that we went out and went, me, and then the rest of the world was supposed to hear that note and play in harmony with it. And then we'd have a harmonious world. I thought communication, you know, you get in relationships and they get all screwed up. They got a communication problem. I say, communication problem? Maybe I got to communicate more. So I would tell you more about me. I'll write down everything about me here and there. And now I've finally done my part. I thought my job was just keep telling them about me. And then they'll know how to adjust. They'll know my idiosyncrasies. I mean, you know, so I'll type it out. This is there. And I thought that was my job. That was my side of the thing. So there was no understanding of harmony. The reason there couldn't be any understanding of harmony was if you don't believe in a higher power, then you can't believe there's a master score, that there is a harmonious sheet of music that's been written that we all have a part to play in. And if we learn to work this 12-step program, we will intuitively know how to act in concert and harmony with people around us. So Bill writes in the 8-step this very exciting adventure of the eighth step is to learn how to live in harmony. Because our previous thing was we went out and demanded the world adjust to us instead of seeking the power to enable us to adjust to any situation. 
Once you have the power to adjust to any situation, you have the same peace of mind as if the whole world adjusted to you. Only this is doable and the other one isn't doable. The world isn't going to adjust to me. And so that's why this eighth step is such a wonderful thing. So Bill says that when we come up against this eighth step, we're going to resist it. And we start out by resisting it. Um, first, we say, it was the other person's fault that I behaved this way. That's what our ego will do to defend ourselves. So he suggests the first thing we have to do is just forgive everybody else. We're not taking their inventory. We're only inventorying our side of the street. And that will help us move on. Second thing he says we're probably going to do is that we're going to look ahead and we're going to see that um, this list, that, we're, that we're, if we get on the list, we have to do the ninth step. So we start going, you know, I was sort of a solitary drinker and I really didn't harm anybody except me. I mean, I've heard this at more and more meetings. Now remember, on the eighth step, put yourself at the top of the list. Well, you won't find that in the literature anywhere. You may hear it, but I'll promise you, you will never find that in the literature. Put yourself at the top of the list. Sure, we did a lot of harm to ourselves, but that's not the point of the step. We've already acknowledged that. Most of us have already acknowledged that. But our rationalization is saying, I didn't do much harm. Unlike people who stayed home and beat their family up, I drank down at the bar. And I was a very quiet guy. I never drank in the office. And I never got arrested for drunk driving. I always walked. You know, so we had all these things. And then we go out and we go, is that true? He didn't cause any harm at home? No, he didn't. He'd be gone for months at a time. We wouldn't have the... We wouldn't have the rent. We got evicted twice. But in the alcoholic month, I didn't cause any harm there because I wasn't there. And then never drank at work. Well, he was fired. That's why he didn't drink at work. And said all these rationalizations. Um, and, and we go, my drinking becomes the center point of this whole thing. So we, we've got to come back and look at the harm that we really did to other people. And it's, when we talk about harm, we're talking about Bill writes, instincts in collision. And he told a whole bunch of harm. It isn't punching somebody. It's much more subtle than that. It's withholding affection. It's withholding humor. Never crack a smile. If you're miserable, everyone should be miserable. You had a crappy weekend, let the office know it. You know what I'm saying? about? You see a couple of people who had a great weekend over here and they're going, ha, 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 fun, ha, ha. Sort of glare at them. You know, like, hey... <laughs> Who gives a shit you had a good weekend? I had a terrible weekend. You know, and inflict that on people. And whenever they talk to you, tell them all the things that are wrong with you and bothering you. Oh, life is awful. Let me tell you all the horrible things. Then you wonder why no one wants to hang around you. And you say, it's a lousy world. Nobody cares about me. So there's just a million ways that we inflict harm on the people around us. Gossiping, flirting. Keeping your mate off balance. Don't go wink at that guy. Go do that. <laughs> that got him a little bit. That'll keep him going there. And, and all of these subtle forms cause this disharmony and it enables us to look at it to find all the things. Now, what Bill suggests is it will end our isolation. It's to be at the end of the eighth step, he talks about it ending our isolation with our fellow human beings and with our higher power. When we fearlessly take a look at this harm and acknowledge and see how on a daily basis our personality 
and our style, our self-centeredness, our alcoholism, caused us to just walk around inflicting this and it creates the world that we lived in. This is one of the great insights into finding a happy world is to see that we create our own world. We, cre we cause people to behave in ways that are very uncomfortable to be around and we're the, we can change the whole thing through this eighth and ninth step. It's a very powerful step. And we're at the end of the time, and next week we'll talk about the promises and the amends and everything, and we've got a great way to wrap it up with the Lord's Prayer for anybody who would care to join in. How you doing, Smither? Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Keep coming back if you work it.